In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, it is good to see you here this evening, this end of a run of a few wonderful days. I don't know about you, but the rain was taking its toll on me. I had not moved to California for that. So um, good to see you. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, today is a Sunday um, where uh, historically the church decided to acknowledge that in 60 days it would be Easter. And I can't help but be uh, uh, amused. I I noticed something this year uh, uh, that's fun about social media, Uh, no matter how little time you spend on it. In my case, when most of the people you're connected to are uh, Christians and, and liturgy people, you know, now it's like, Christmas is a season, not a day, right? And then like the 12 days of Christmas comes by and everyone's like, how dare you think about taking your trees and decorations down? Don't you know Christmas goes to the presentation, right? So now all of a sudden, February 2nd is when we all have to leave everything up to. And then February 2nd comes and goes. And the next thing you know, last week, even though the the reckoning is not accurate, last week was a Sunday that acknowledges that Easter is about 70 days away. And then this week, it's 60 days, which is actually accurate. And I thought to myself, like, we were trying so hard to not have to spend any time in <laughs> Epiphany Tide or ordinary time coming up that um, it just made, it got me thinking about the way in which we mark our life liturgically. And so, so here we are today. It's, in many ways, it's not the last Sunday of Epiphany, except it is kind of the last Sunday of Epiphany, because next week... Um, the, the true proper last Sunday of Epiphany is known as Transfiguration Sunday, and there is a feast day in August, a fixed feast day, August 6th, that's given over to the Transfiguration, but the last Sunday in Epiphany is also Transfiguration Sunday, and so next week there will be white on the altars and white vestments in order to celebrate that, and that is a reminder that in just a few days later that we will enter into the season of Lent. So I'm going to go ahead and get into this spirit of marking things in advance and looking forward and use the opportunity tonight to first communicate something to you and then second to to use these texts to help us think about our preparation for Lent. The first thing I wanted to share with you is um, we have been in existence now for over six years, as you know, this is our seventh year, and our bishop um, I think requires, in as much as every rector is able, to take a sabbatical in their seventh year of being at a parish. So this is my seventh year of being here. I'm on sabbatical from Biola this fall, so I asked the vestry if I could take a sabbatical from the parish, uh, both because the bishop uh, encourages it, and uh, to be honest, I think I need it. Uh, and you may feel the same about me some days that, yeah, you, you do need it. Definitely take a sabbatical. So I just wanted to let you know, in case you've been hearing uh, through the grapevine, that I will be taking a sabbatical this year. I'm going to take two months in the summer, uh, mostly the months of June and July, and then I will be back. This is both at the request of the vestry to be back when the school year begins um, so that, you know, any new students that visit our parish, things look as kind of normal as possible. But also it works out for me to split my sabbatical up. And then I'll take another two months uh, from about mid-September till mid-November. Um, and I say that uh, because as we look forward, uh, one of the things this year in the life of our parish will be me away on sabbatical. But the parish will be in good hands with Father and Deacon Steve and 
if they are unable to be here, Father Steve in particular is unable to be here some Sunday uh, to celebrate, of course, we'll make sure we in advance that we have another priest uh, scheduled to come in. We'll make use of those in our parish who have preached before and those who maybe haven't preached before to have opportunity to preach um, some Sundays during that uh, sabbat- those sabbaticals, that sabbatical that's going to be split up. So um, that's the first thing I just wanted you to know is that I'm going to take some time off this year from the parish. Christina will also take time off from the parish. So it needs to be a pro- in order for it to be a proper sabbatical, she also needs to not be doing her work here. Um, and uh, so we will uh, get all that arranged. The vestry, of course, has approved this, funded it, um, and we will uh, keep communicating details to you. Uh, so we look ahead to a sabbatical, a different season perhaps in the life of our parish uh, this year. But also we look ahead because as people who inhabit liturgical time, the calendar is making us look ahead. In just 10 days will be Ash Wednesday. Now, as Sarah was saying in in the office uh, after we prayed before the service, she said, well, I mean, last year it was on February 14th. You know, it was Valentine's Day last year, so we would have already been in in, uh, Lent. And so at least this year, we felt like we had a little more breathing room, right? We could actually make use of some of these wonderful collects that are appointed for Epiphany Tide and actually have an Epiphany Tide uh, in which to think about these things. And tonight's readings are a set that we don't often get to. And tonight's collect is a collect that we don't often get to. And I chose to read the collect as opposed to chant it tonight because I wanted you to hear it perhaps better than when I chant it. And, uh, uh, and I will read it again for us. But um, the focus of this collect and, and what I want to encourage us to start thinking about because the collect really picks up on these readings, particularly the gospel. And today we are reminded that the Christian faith is an active faith. We show that we are people of faith when we do good. To follow Christ is not to hold to a right set of beliefs, though that is important, right? When we, when we get to the creed, the Nicene Creed is important that you're saying it truthfully, meaningfully, um, rightly. But to follow Christ is actually not that. You cannot reduce Christianity to a set of uh, propositions or dogmatic truths, right? But to be Christian, to follow Christ, is to be a people who act. Now, we act out of the content of our faith, right? So that confession of the creed, those dogmatic truths that we hold to nourish us in the faith, our doing of the faith grows out of those commitments that we make theologically, that we confess, right? Whether or not we understand them or not, the Trinity, for example, we confess it, right? So we act out of those things, but if we're not a If we're not a people who are doing, something is wrong. If we were just people that came together, we all agreed that the right things had been said and perhaps done, right? If we were particularly prickly liturgical people, right, you might be upset like, oh, I don't know, that right hand looked like it was about an inch too low. I was a little concerned about the validity of that Eucharist tonight. Father Greg's getting sloppy. He needs a sabbatical for sure. Right? If we were just people that kind of fretted about those things, like, you know, am I facing the right direction? Have we used the right color tonight? You know, like, like are these readings sufficient? Does it, is it okay that we elided a few verses of the psalm? Those kinds of things. That, those are all things we could be thinking about. But the point is, is that's not what the faith is. If we did all that and never actually did anything with our faith, what kind of a faith would it be? 
Like, I got my taxes done this week, and when I go to my tax guy, I like that he knows what he's doing. I like the propositional things that he's committed to, which the one that I'm most excited about is the one that he wants to get me as much money as possible back from the government by rightly interpreting the law, right? I'm paying him to get that right, right? But that's not what I want out of my church necessarily. Well, we have it all right. Great. Let's go home and feel good about that and pat ourselves on the back. Now, again, to be a Christian is to do good. The text tonight uses that phrase three times. Sorry, the gospel text tonight uses that text three times. To follow Jesus by necessity makes us people of action. Look at these words from the gospel reading tonight, or hear these words again from the gospel reading tonight. Love, bless, pray, give, turn the other cheek, do not demand, lend, be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, do good. That's a lot of verbs in a small number of passages, really, of uh, scripture, of uh, verses. Love, bless, pray, give, turn the other cheek, do not demand, lend, be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, do good. Those are all verb forms of our faith. These are things that we are to be doing, or at least I would say striving to be doing. We could condemn, we could be unforgiving people, we would be sinning perhaps in doing that, so we can at least be striving to do these things. If we're not there yet, we should be on the way to doing them. But whether we do them or not is actually not the option. We are to be doing them. And again, if we're striving to do them better and properly and rightly, good. That is a sign of the faith, our faith being worked out. Now, what this does mean, what the gospel text does mean, is that we need to have a love. For without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. What this does not mean, that is, what, what having an act of faith does not mean, is that our love looks past sin or does not require repentance and amendment of life. That, that's not the doing of the faith, to, to look past people's sins, to, to decide that, well, I, who am I to judge? The Bible actually tells me not to judge. I can't judge someone for their sins. No, an act of faith does not look past people's sins. It does not look past each other's failings, right? It, it requires repentance. It requires amendment of life. Because again, whatever we do without love is not worth doing. We do this all in love. We may do it imperfectly, but we do it lovingly to the best of our ability. An act of faith does not mean you get a pass on the hard elements of the faith. And so tonight, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is challenging us to, to step up, to do things that we don't find easy to do, to do things that we might not do well, but it is, in fact, to do things. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? In other words, if you simply just do good to people because they do good to you, what benefit is that? But yet there embedded in that phrase is the do good part. Love your enemies and do good. And so we're coming up on Lent. And Lent's this time where 
even people who don't observe the liturgical year will often talk about giving something up. I've been surprised in my years at Biola University, right? Not a university whose history, you know, suggests that it follows a liturgical year. It, it does now more than ever, I think, because of our, our leadership and the spiritual life department. But I remember when I first came, I would hear students saying, like, what are you giving up for Lent? And I thought, what's happening? Right? There's bells ringing in a bell tower, and people are asking what they can give up for Lent. I thought I took a job at Biola. Sounds like my Roman Catholic schools I had gone to. It was awesome. It is awesome. So even people who don't observe the liturgical year often will think about doing something for Lent. But again, what is the point of doing those things for Lent, giving something up, adopting greater disciplines into your life, if our doing good to others doesn't characterize the other 325 days of the year? Right? So we're going to adopt these practices. You're going to be led by God, I assume, to give something up or to, again, take some discipline on. But, I mean, let's be realistic and frame that, if you will, in a life that is oriented towards the doing of good. Right? Lent's not the time where we say, okay, i got to get motivated and get ready for Easter. Let me do good. But that is what it means to be people of faith. That is what Luke is saying in the text tonight. And again, so as we begin to anticipate this season that we're entering, we need to reflect on these things, the active nature of our faith, not the content, the theological content, but that out of that grows the way that we live our faith actively in the world, in the vocation that God has called us to do. And so let's look to the Old Testament reading from tonight. Let's look at this example given to us in the Old Testament with Joseph. You know the story, I'm sure. Um, the story of how Joseph, uh, God gives him some dreams and some visions, and so he boldly shares them with his brothers, and his brothers decide, you know what? Dad should have stopped having kids before this Joseph fellow because he's kind of a jerk, and they don't like him, so they end up selling him into slavery. Um, and Well, actually, they were open to killing him. Many of the brothers were, Instead, his life is spared, he gets sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt, and the story that we pick up on in Genesis 45 this evening is now when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, right? This famine forces the brothers down into Egypt uh, to beg for food, to, to trade for food, to buy food, to take it back up uh, to their father and their families so that they can live. And so, I'm sorry, but if I was Joseph... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be harboring a grudge. I'm going to be pretty upset with my brothers, I'm not going to lie. I mean, they wanted to kill him. Seems reasonable to think he doesn't have to ever really get over that. Right? And so when the opportunity comes to get some revenge, if you will, to see justice served, justice maybe, perhaps, served, they come down and, and what does he do? He gives them the grain, you know, the stories, and puts the puts all their money and all back in their bag, and they get really nervous, and, you know, dad sends them back down again, and, and the point is, as we get to uh, Genesis 45, and Joseph reveals himself to his brother, he says, I'm Joseph, and then his next question is, my, is my father still alive? But his brothers, this is a great text, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Yeah, I would be too, right? <laughs> the brother who you thought was dead, gone, long gone, dead or at least out of the picture forever, there he is in front of you. And then Joseph says to his brothers, you sold me into Egypt. 
but God sent me before you to preserve life. You sold me into Egypt, but actually God sent me before you to preserve life. Right? Talk about someone with faith in Yahweh. Talk about someone whose faith is a doing kind of faith. He goes on to say, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I just can't imagine what these brothers must have been thinking in that moment. Probably waiting for the punishment. You know, Joseph is, again, he's, he's high up. They know this. Joseph is a powerful person. They're probably waiting for the hammer to fall. But instead, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God who sent me here. Then the text tells us, Joseph kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. An example, I think, of love, not judgment. Mercy, not judgment. Grace, not judgment. Forgiveness, not judgment. There is Joseph living into this Luke 6 language that we heard read in the gospel. These verb forms that he didn't get revenge on them. He did not exercise any sense of retaliation or retribution against them. No, because Joseph for years had been meditating on the fact that there must have been a bigger purpose for all of this. And in being able to provide food for his family, I think Joseph saw what the purpose was. Again, God sent me here before you to preserve life. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Incredible story of faith in action. The collect for this evening. Oh Lord, you have taught us that without love... Whatever we do is worth nothing. Let me read that again. Now, the collect is where we have collected our prayers, and even though I'm the one who said it, it is our prayer. O Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Do we believe that? Do we think that is true? That as we do things, if we do them without love, do we know that they are worth nothing? Do we sense that they are worth nothing? And again, not because they don't ameliorate some need perhaps in the moment, not because they're not actually graceful actions exercised towards someone, but in the long run, if we do these things without love, then they are worth nothing because we need to be motivated by our love. And so we ask in this collect, send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love the person of the Holy Spirit, the true bond of peace and all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. And just think about the passage from Paul tonight about being resurrected from the dead. That because Jesus has been resurrected, we are resurrected people. We have become natural people who now can do supernatural things, if you will. We are natural people who died with Christ to be resurrected, to be spiritual people, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do what? To love, so that when we do things, they're worth something. So as we approach Lent this year, let me put this into your head. Think about what you need to do for God. Think about what God wants you to do for him during Lent. But think about how you're going to do it. 
Think about the spirit with which you enter into this discipline. And on Ash Wednesday, for those who are able to be here, and if you're unable to be here, go somewhere on Ash Wednesday, preferably an Anglican church, so that you can have that exhortation to make a good Lent read to you. It's one of the best things in our prayer book. And as we are exhorted to make a good Lent, we talk about the fact that we are giving things up, that we are adopting these practices for a greater end than the practice themselves. So as we adopt those things, as we do things for God, are we doing them out of love for him? Because if not, they're just not worth doing. I've said this before from the pulpit. A few years ago, we gave up sweets for Lent. That was a bigger deal back then because I eat ice cream seven days a week. I don't do that anymore. And you know what? Those first couple weeks were brutal. We all missed it. The four of us missed it. Probably we're going through sugar withdrawal. But you know what? After a couple of weeks, we didn't miss it anymore. So the next year we came back around getting ready for Lent. And I said to Christina, are we going to forego sugar again? And she goes, why? Once we got used to it, it wasn't even hard. It didn't demand anything of us. Now, my wife loves sugar, so I was a little skeptical, but she was right. That maybe in one sense it wasn't worth doing because it wasn't demanding anything out of us. It wasn't done in a spirit of having to, to give anything up. It wasn't done out of love for God. It was done because we knew we wanted to give it up for Easter, and then it proved itself to be fairly easy once we got past those first couple of weeks. And so again, as we take on these disciplines, as we, as we give up things, as we add things into our lives, let's do it with love so that it counts. Oh Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love, the true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please stand as we confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.